everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson, live from San Diego, where MLB's annual winter meetings are about halfway done. Things started up here on Sunday and run until Wednesday afternoon, and so far, things have been quiet on the Marlins front, but that very well could change over the next 48 hours before team executives head back to the East Coast. The team has its obvious needs to address. They need bats. And based on how the roster is currently constructed, the team most likely will seek to address that need at center field and or at the corner infield spots. There are options to do that. On the free agent market, if Miami is willing to spend, Cody Bellinger would be a logical fit for center field. After being non-tendered by the Dodgers, he's likely going to try to sign a one-year prove-it deal before retesting the market again next season. If the Marlins are able to get him, and if the season ends up going south, they can always flip him at the trade deadline and start building up their farm system once again. At first base, Josh Bell offers league-level defense and a switch hitting back to work with Garrett Cooper, the only natural first baseman Miami currently has on its 40-man roster. The Marlins have also expressed interest in free agent third baseman Justin Turner. But again, it all comes back to, will the Marlins spend? That's to be determined, as has been the case for, well, years. On the trade market, Pittsburgh Pirates' Brian Reynolds and the Baltimore Orioles' Cedric Mullins are the obvious choices for center field for center field trade options. Reynolds on Saturday requested a trade, although the Pirates have said they remain reluctant to trade the 27-year-old, barring a major offer. The Pirates, in a statement to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, said that Reynolds' request, quote, will have zero impact on their decision-making, and that Reynolds, quote, remains a key member of their team. The switch hitter, though, has a career 281 batting average and an 842 OPS since making his MLB debut in 2019. He was an all-star in 2021 and has 51 home runs, 152 RBI, and 167 runs scored over his past two seasons. He has struggled in the field, though, particularly last season, where he ranked last among 17 players who played at least 750 innings in center field with minus 14 defensive runs saved. Mullins, meanwhile, would bring a combination of speed, quality defense, at a position of need, and a left-handed bat to, Mar- to the Marlins lineup. He's a career 263 hitter since making his MLB debut in August 2018 with 53 home runs, 82 doubles, 14 triples, 150 RBI, and 26 runs scored in 430 games. He was an all-star in 2021 and finished ninth in American League MVP voting that year after posting an 878 OPS with 30 home runs, 37 doubles, and 91 runs scored. He's also a threat on the base paths with 74 stolen bases in his career, 30 in 2021, and 34 last season, while also posting five defensive runs saved in center field last season, according to fan graphs. Either way, if the Marlins go the trade route, they'll almost assuredly have to trade from their starting pitching depth. And at this point, it seems fair to say that basically anyone not named Sandy Alcantara or Yuri Perez is realistically on the table. Pablo Lopez and Trevor Rogers are the main names being discussed, but Edward Cabrera could be an option too, depending on what they need to do to get make it to get a deal done. But no matter what happens, the Marlins are going to have to do something, anything really, if they want to compete in the NL East like next season, like they say they do. Especially when you look at what teams atop the division are already doing this offseason. Just look at what happened on Monday. The Mets signed right-handed, right-handed pitcher and reigning American League Cy Young Award winner Justin Verlander to a two-year, $86 million year deal with a vesting option for a third year to replace Jacob deGrom, who signed with the Texas Rangers. And the Philadelphia Phillies signed shortstop Trey Turner to an 11-year, $300 million deal that includes a full no-trade clause. 
two of the teams that went the farthest, two of the teams that had the best seasons in baseball last year, the Mets, the Mets with 101 wins, the Phillies making it all the way to the World Series. It's just showing the latest example of how these payroll disparities are once again going to put Miami at a competitive disadvantage before they even step on the field. Miami's current payroll factoring in projected salaries for arbitration eligible players is hovering around 80 million. Turner and Verlander alone, those two are making a combined 70.6 million next season. Uh, the Mets, as we know, with Steve Cohen, Cohen is the owner who's going to spend. The Phillies are hover, are going to be able to hover around the luxury tax. The Braves are going to hover around the luxury tax. And it just prevent, presents yet another challenge for first-year Marlins manager Skip Schumacher as he tries to get Marlins into the quote-unquote winning way that he thinks they'll be able to do in 2022. How are they going to do that? He basically, like everyone else in the organization, points to the Marlins starting rotation depth of the team foundation. It's fair. You look at the group they have, Sandy Alcantara, Jesus Lazardo, barring trades for the time being, they have Edward Cabrera, Pablo Lopez, and Trevor Rogers. You have Braxton Gary as well, which gives them six op- options for their five rotation spots. Yuri Perez is waiting in the wings. Jake Eater likely isn't too far behind either. Dax Fulton is a guy who's on the up and coming and could work his way into the conversation as well. And there's still Max Meyer, who's out for next season after undergoing Tommy John surgery, but could play into into the play into the plan long term. So yes, the pitching depth's there. The hitting depth, that hasn't materialized. And the Marlins are going to need to figure out ways to improve on that. Obviously, if they need Jazz Chisholm Jr. to stay healthy, they need Avisel Garcia and Jorge Soler to have bounce back years. They need Joey Wendell to have have a strong strong year. They need Garrett Cooper to stay healthy. They need Miguel Rojas to have a have an improvement after his struggles offensively second the second half of the season after dealing with the wrist injury. And they need the guys who are in that second tier, the guys who are in the double A, the triple A, the backup plans need to be able to materialize. Skip Schumacher talking on Monday, looked back to his time as bench coach with the Cardinals last season and specifically brought up Brendan Donovan and Lars Newtbar, both of whom stepped up as young guys. Brendan Donovan was third in rookie of the year voting for the National League after having a 773 OPS, 45 ribbies, and 60 runs scored in 126 games. Newtbar, his second year, 108 games, 788 OPS, 14 home runs. He, they had the options when their main guys weren't there, when they dealt with injuries, when they needed guys to fill in spots. The Marlins tried that with a bunch of their top prospects last year. J.J. Bleday, Peyton Burdick, Terrar Encarnacion, Jordan Groshans, Charles LeBlanc. None of them none of them established themselves and showed that they have a that they've locked in a spot for next season. And it all goes back to something we've discussed on here time and time again. Player development has to get better. Skip Schumacher said that straight up. His direct quote from Monday was, that's just the reality. When you have a payroll like we have competing against monsters in the East, we have to be really good at developing our own guys. Miami's done that on the pitching side. They haven't done it on the hitting side. Will that change? We'll find out. And now for a couple other quick topics from Schumacher's media availability on Monday. He's been making his rounds over his first month with talking with players who are going to be on the Marlins next season. And he said the general mood was a lot of guys were disappointed and some, to use Schumacher's word, were embarrassed by their 2022 season and are looking to rebound. And he specifically singled out Avisel Garcia in that group. Uh, Avi signed that four-year deal last offseason 
and had arguably his worst season by terms of offensive metrics last season. 224 batting average, 226 OPS, 317 slugging, only played in 97 games. And Avisale, speaking last month at one of the Marlins Thanksgiving events, he was blunt about knowing where he stands, knowing he needs to improve, and has been doing what he can to try to get himself in the best position. He lost weight. He's down to about 235 pounds. He's trying to get his body ready so that he's ready when the season season begins. He wasn't in his be- in the best shape coming into the into spring training last season. He told Skip Schumacher that himself and is trying to make sure that he hits the ground running when the 2023 season begins. Uh, Schumacher's coaching staff is nearly complete. Uh, so far, eight members of his staff are known. Uh, bench coach Louis Urueta, hitting coach Brant Brown, who kept, comes over from the Dodgers. First base coach John Jay, Miami native, who Schumacher played with at with the Cardinals. Third base coach Jody Reed, who was part of the Marlins. He was one of the Marlins minor league coordinators last season. Quality assurance coach Rod Barajas and major league instructor Griffin Benedict, the latter two of whom Schumacher overlapped with in San Diego. The Marlins, obviously, they also retained pitching coach Mel Stonemeyer Jr. and bullpen coach Wellington Cepeda. Schumacher said that he has, quote, maybe a couple hires left to make, and the expectation is for the staff hopefully to be formally announced at some point this week. And finally, Schumacher acknowledged an additional challenge that he's going to have this spring training, which is the World Baseball Classic. With the World Baseball Classic overlapping with spring training, players from the Marlins are going to be in and out from spring training when they're playing with their respective countries they're going to be playing for. And it makes a first-year manager's job that much tougher when he's not going to be able to have the everyday interactions, the everyday up-close and personal looks at in-game settings with guys before opening day hits. It's really going to condense the amount of time he has to figure out what he has on the roster and figure out who he has before the season begins. He understands the challenge. He's going to be leaning on a lot of four players who are on the roster who can help him with making decisions. He's going to be leaning on people in the front office to help with the evaluation process. But it is an additional hurdle that he has before he before he even steps out for his first game, first career game as an MLB manager. And to wrap up this episode, a quick look at what's to come over the final days of, of the winter meetings. Obviously, moves could be made at any time, but a couple things are definitely going to happen. On Tuesday, MLB will be hosting its first ever draft lottery to determine the first six picks of the 2023 MLB draft. Miami has about a 3% chance to land the number one overall pick. And if everything stayed the same, they would be picking ninth overall. So if they get a lottery spot, they'll be moving up from where they currently stand. Uh, The local Miami media is also slated to talk with Marlins general manager Kim Ang on Tuesday. We were originally supposed to talk with her on Monday, but things came up and that got pushed back a day. So there will be updates. We'll all have a few stories on the Miami Herald website after we talk with Kim about the current state of the offseason, their current direction, things that they're trying to address, and just the overall state of the team. And then on Wednesday, to wrap up winter meetings, the annual Rule 5 draft. For a quick refresher, The Rule 5 draft is when teams are able to acquire prospects from other clubs who have been in Pro Bowl for a set amount of time, four years for players who were drafted out of college, five years for players who were drafted out of high school or signed as international free agents, 
and are not currently on their team's 40-man roster. Any player selected in the Rule 5 draft needs to remain on their new team's active roster for the entirety of their season outside of any injured listings. They can't be optioned to the minors. It's either big leagues or IL. The Marlins have generally been active in the Rule 5 draft. They've taken a player in each of the last four MLB phases of the Rule 5 draft, 2017 through 2020. There wasn't an MLB phase of the Rule 5 draft last year because of the lockout, but the Marlins still sprung and got some talent in there. Charles LeBlanc specifically made his MLB debut. They took him in the minor league phase last year. Uh, Their last few who they took, uh, 2020, they drafted Paul Campbell, and then they also traded for Zach Pop who was taken by the Diamondbacks in the Rule 5 draft, and they acquired his Rule 5 eligibility. 2019, Sterling Sharp. 2018, Riley Farrell. 2017, Eliezer Hernandez. I think you're sensing a theme here. Pitching is the easiest and and in most cases the safest route when you're selecting players in the Rule 5, for the most part because you can generally stash them in the bullpen, use them either in low-leverage situations or inning-eating situations. And it gives you a chance to evaluate them in those settings. And then if there are players that are going to need more minor league time, you do this for a year and then bring them back and have them start the season afterwards in AAA, sort of a reverse development thing. That's what they did with Eliezer in 2017. He was with them throughout the entire big league career. And then they stashed him in the minors and then they started him in the minors 2018, 2019 before using him in the rotation swingman type role. And for, in order to select someone in the Rule 5 draft, you have to have at least one open 40-man roster spot. The Marlins have one at this point. So barring any sort of movements between now and 2, 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time Wednesday, the Marlins will be able to participate in the Rule 5 draft. So we will see what happens there. We'll see what happens on the other hot stove front between now and then. And At this time next week, we will be back and we'll recap all of this and see where the Marlins stand with about two-ish months until spring training starts. So that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone, and we will be back again next week.